World War III is quietly happening and we are just sitting by. And Jimmy Carter opens the conversation about hospice and my Harry Potter problem. We're going to talk about that right about now. So don't go anywhere on today's Carell Cast. Uncensored. Unfiltered. Unhinged. It's the Carell Cast. Listen daily on your favorite streaming service. It is the Krellcast. I am Corell. So very glad you are joining me on this President's Day, a holiday that some people are having and some people are not, and that's just the way that is. World War III, we've heard it talked about, we've seen it in movies, and last night I realized it is quietly happening behind the scenes. We're going to talk about that as our president is in Kiev today, saying that Kiev still stands, it stands strong. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, but what does it really mean to you and I? It means that while... Old white people and one China person, Chinese person, uh, I'm thinking of China, I'd call him a China person. One Chinese person, Xi Jinping, uh, really have the destiny of the world in their hands right now. And let me tell you what's going on, because this is really crucial and most people are not paying attention to it. Because really, World War III is a bummer. But think about all the music when you think about that. You know, because last night I was telling Steve, well, World War III is about to hear, be happening here, so we're going to need some songs. So we pulled out, you know, uh, Mother, Mother, there's far too many of you crying. Hey, yeah. And Brother, 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 there's far too many of you dying. Of course, there's 99 and left balloons. I mean, there's a lot of songs. Every day. What was it? I hate Morrissey, but what is it? Every day is like Sunday. And the strange dust <laughs> falls on your hands. There's a lot of songs worth war. Huh. Good God, y'all, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. Say it again. Well, so there's a lot of great war songs out there. So start dusting them off because we are headed that direction. Let me tell you why. We got China, big country, big, huge population, like a billion plus people. So lots of people, they can spare them too. They don't care. Like why about half of us? What do we care? Uh, and really that's their attitude. And China has said, you know what? We think we're going to give some lethal weapons because there are non-lethal weapons in war. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but uh, we're going to give lethal weapons to Russia so they can use them in Ukraine. And Blinken, who went over there, Blinken, Inken, and Nod, our secretary of state, said, uh, no, N no, don't do that. They did not apologize for the spy balloons. And they said they're probably going to supply Russia. So then the media yesterday says... China given red line in the sand. Do not supply lethal weapons to Russia. So, of course, they're gonna. I mean, come on, they're gonna. So what do we do then? When China and Russia and North Korea band together and the rest of the world says, no, that's a world war. They've started in this region twice and if we go back and just call wars what they are, that every war is a world war. The Vietnam War was a world war. It affects everybody across the globe when countries are at war, big countries. So what we, except, in, you know, not the Congo, you know, we haven't cared about that for 40 years. Big civil war there for 40 years, who cares? Uh, but big countries fighting, we care about. And if China, the United States, and Russia were to get into a war, we wouldn't win. Everyone thinks, United States of America, we'd win. No. 
because we're not willing to do what they're willing to do. Putin or Ping would have no problem destroying Los Angeles, New York. No problem. None. They wouldn't even think twice about it. We, of course, would have issues destroying Moscow or, you know, Beijing. And the Russian people and the Chinese people, they don't want war. No major population wants war. It's the white guys running things that want it. And as we're sitting here worrying about, oh, electric cars or, oh, this or, oh, that, behind the scenes, there's a world war brewing. And I'm not being overreactionary. I'm not being conspiracy theorist. I'm not being, you know, chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky really is about to fall. And there's going to be bombs in it. Now, what are we going to do? China is our daddy. They produce almost everything we consume. They are the teat of which we drink. Technology would not exist without the chips from China. Your iPhone, your Android, poof, say goodbye. All these electric cars, pff, say goodbye. Why? Because we gave all the cheap manufacturing jobs to China because they have a slave class over there. So American companies can sell stuff cheaply because they use slaves in China. And that includes Apple. All this Mac equipment I got was made by slaves. What am I going to do? Like, there's no other choice for a computer. I can't, you know, buy a computer not made by slaves. Everything is made by slaves, and they're Chinese slaves. So what would we do without China? Die. Everything here would start to die. Our technology, our auto industry, everything would come to a grinding halt. Our chickens are processed in China. We kill our chickens here, ship them to China for processing, and they send them back. Most of your prescription drugs are made where? In basements in China. And if you don't believe me, do your research. The, the, the capsules you take, the home remedies you take, the vitamins you take, China. The prescription drugs you take, China. If it's cheap to make computer stuff there, it's also cheap to make prescriptions there. So we have made China our slave class. And we've become dependent. We don't produce anything ourselves. We don't produce our own medicines. We don't produce our own computers. We don't produce our own cars. And if we do, we produce them with parts from China. So China's got us by the gonads. And it knows it. It knows that for the last 50 years, it has made us so dependent upon it that we can't leave. It knows that. So when we give it a line to cross, it's like, what do we care? We're China. What are you going to do? Attack us? How many people are in China and Russia? Billions. Not the paltry 322 million in the United States. Billions. Do they care if they lose 100 million? Do they care if they lose the population of the United States? No. And they used to worry about us as consumers. They couldn't afford to lose us. China can't afford to lose us as a customer. That's not true. The world has almost 8 billion people in it. We're only 322 million. If all of, if, if the United States was completely nuked, the whole country... The world would still have over 7 billion people, and those are 7 billion consumers, and that's all China cares about. So we're about to get a hard lesson in how high and mighty we're not. And if we start it, they will finish it. If China supports Russia, 
gives them lethal weapons. Russia uses them right where President Biden is today in Kiev, which he's there for a reason. He's there to send a message to Xi Jinping that that Ukraine has the full support of the United States. And if you attack it, you're like attacking a place where the president is. China don't care. That should be a T-shirt. China don't care. We act like the world is afraid of us now. They're not. In fact, they see us as pathetic. We're in political disarray. There's blood in the water. The Republicans are making our government weak. American people are so stupid that some are siding with China and Putin. There were Russian flags at rallies this week that MAGA had. So they're in a prime position to take over and win. And I thought about this last night because of my medical anxiety. You know, I've been dealing with it, as you all know. And I thought to myself, this could unravel within two weeks. 14 days from today, we could be at World War. There could be millions dead. Now you're like, oh, Corral, that's not good. I am telling you, if this week China gives weapons to Russia that they use, and then we do some sort of retaliation, financial, some sort of non-military retaliation, and China doesn't like it, honey, they have nuclear subs. So dust off your war songs, dust off your, you know, whatever, because while we're all busy doing whatever we're doing, the world is headed towards a world war. And right now, I'm not willing for World War III over the Ukraine. And I'll just say it. I am not willing to have the entire world at war because of the Ukraine. I can't. I can't. If there is no diplomatic solution there, then maybe Russia wins. And that may be wrong, but we're not strong enough to resist them anymore. If you're not visiting reallycorel.com daily, you're missing out. Get the podcast, videos, and the blog, including recipes, at reallycorel.com. That's really K A R E L.com. Uncensored, unfiltered, unhinged. It's the Corel Cast. I am Corel, and one of my favorite interviews of all time was with President Jimmy Carter. In fact, I loved when he called the house and my niece Heather said, uh, Uncle Charles, President Carter's on the phone. And I'm like, tell him to hold. I'm in the garden and I got to, you know, dry off. She goes, I'm not telling President Jimmy Carter to hold. And I said, then he'll just sit there with no one knowing why. And she's like, you're really good. I said, Heather, I'm drenched. I can't, you know, <laughs> he called early. Uh, we had the best talk, the best talk. I mean, it was just such a great just a great talk. Uh, and he complimented me, and it was just the sweetest thing. We talked about him leaving the church because of their stance on gays. He's a great man. And he's been a great elder statesman after leaving office, and he wasn't a bad president. So he's 98 years old, and if anyone deserved to make 100, it's Jimmy Carter. Yesterday, he announced he's going to go on hospice care. He is not going to pursue... He's had melanoma in his brain and liver. He's had, he's had a lot of stuff. And at 98, you know, so he, now hospice doesn't mean he's dying tomorrow. It just means that he's not going to do any life-saving treatments. He's still going to do treatments. They'll still make him comfortable, medications, that sort of thing. 
And if he were to get like a small flu or cold or something, they'd treat that. But they're not going to do any chemos or any big treatments. He's, he's withdrawing from all the huge treatments. Because there comes a point in your life, and I have seen this in so many people with HIV AIDS, where you're done. You're done. You're like being involved in the medical society, in the medical system is so draining. And it is. And, and doctor after doctor in dimly lit rooms. And he's wealthy and such. But still, we all see the same inside of the doctor's offices and the hospitals and all of that. And that's no way to live because we don't make hospitals warm, inviting, wonderful places. We make hospitals very cold, sterile, institutional. No one wants to live in a hospital. No one wants to be at a hospital. And that we should change that. Hospitals should be warm and inviting and they should have open air spaces and lots of greenery and life and it should make you feel like you could get better. Instead, they feel like well, the hospitals feel terrible. They really do. And so Jimmy Carter is done. He said, I'm, I'm going home. <laughs> Pack my stuff. I'm going home. And it's opened up the dialogue about hospice. Hospice is a very scary word. Now, I will never forget standing outside of St. Mary's Hospital in Long Beach, California, where my mother had been brought from the nursing home for problems, obviously. Uh, and she was inside receiving care. And her doctor, Dr. Rubin, now my doctor in Long Beach, called me on a very ancient cell phone. It was a flip phone. I remember this so vividly. Uh, and we, I was standing in the parking lot of St. Mary's on 10th and Atlantic in Long Beach, California. Uh, and I say where that's at because on my Zoom call with my patrons this weekend, last weekend, we had someone from Oklahoma. We had a lovely photographer from the Northwoods of Wisconsin, Joe. Joe. Uh, we had Rachel Capper. We had, and she's in California, Northern California. So we had people. My show is everywhere. It's, it's literally everywhere. There's someone listening in Oklahoma, someone listening in the Northwoods of Wisconsin. There's someone listening in California. There's someone listening in Canada. There's, I'm everywhere. So I'll never forget being on 10th and Atlantic and Dr. Rubin calling me and I was discussing, you know, what was up with mom. And he said, you know, maybe it's time to make your mom comfortable and send her back to the nursing home. And I said, well, yeah, what, what are you going to treat her? How are you going to treat her? And he said, no. In other words, no treatment. Just make her comfortable. Give her Ativan, give her Oxy give her things like that, but not treat the renal failure, not treat, you know, don't put her on dialysis, don't. But he needed my approval to do that. Now, I knew my mother would never do that. She never would. My mother would, have, would fight to the end. But she was at the end and didn't know it. Couldn't admit it. And she instilled that in me, by the way. My mom did not accept death, and she instilled the fear of death in me. Uh, and I remember standing there, and the, the tears just, I, at the time there was death panels in the news, and here I'm being asked this, and the tears just started to flow. I just, how can I say, put her back in the ambulance and send her back? How, how can I commit her to death? I remember, oh God, see, um, I remember telling him if does he feel that is best, uh, and he had been her doctor 20 years at the time, and, and said yes, he felt it was best, that her kidneys weren't going to get better, that nothing was going to get better. She was 72 years old, and nothing was going to get better.
And I know that's young, but her kidneys were at like 15% from smoking. She had COPD, congestive heart failure. (sighs) She had a lot of stuff wrong. And I had to lie to her in a way uh, and say that they were going to give her stuff back at the nursing home. And they did. They did treat little infections and things. They did give her antibiotics. And that's when we started getting the Oxyfast, which is liquid, and the Ativan, which is liquid. And basically, they started the process of medding her out, where whenever she wanted a drug, they gave it to her. She died in December. I had to put her on hospice around her birthday in November. There weren't conversations about hospice. There weren't public people going into hospice like Jimmy Carter. There was a scared 40-year-old kid. Now that I'm 60, look at 40 as a kid. There was a scared 40-year-old kid that had to be the death panel for his mother. Well, hospice wasn't scary. It wasn't a terrible beast. It was just upgraded care, upgraded nurses, access to different resources. It wasn't like they just cut her off and let her go die. And everyone thinks that's what hospice is. They'll just go in this room and die. No, it's not that. It's actually the complete opposite. Hospice is about how to live for the rest of the time you've got left. Hospices, by the way, if you go into one, are very nice. They don't look like a hospital. Most of them. Jimmy Carter is going to be at home. Uh, My friend, Uh, Connie had pancreatic cancer. She did hospice at home. There's a neighbor on my walk doing hospice at home. I see them come, the caregivers, every day, every morning. When the time comes, grace and dignity, if you have those options, because some of us die without choices, but if you have a choice, when the time comes, hospice shouldn't be scary. It should actually be comforting because it means that you're going to go live. You're going to go concentrate on living and not concentrate on the science of trying to stay alive. You know, in nursing homes, we extend people's lives far longer than we should because they're alone. I've been at them for months. They're alone. There are no visitors, no nothing. They're, they're miserable. Their existence is miserable. And more importantly, they're not any part of themselves anymore. Hospice gives you a chance to be yourself again, to drink tea out of your mug, to have your dog on your lap. To Hospice allows you to breathe right before you die. Now, none of us like to talk about death. Who does? I worry about it all day, every day, but who likes to talk about it? None of us. 50% of us don't have a will. I have a a trust, but, you know, 50% of us don't have a will. Why? Because most of us see death as some sort of thing we can put off. Jimmy Carter, once again, by example, is showing how to do it. He showed us how to be an ex-president. Now he's showing us how to die with dignity. Hats off to Jimmy Carter, an excellent president, an even better human. May his final days be filled with love and joy and laughter, just like yours. 
And when that horrible time comes and you have to make the decision that he made, that I had to make for my mother, and one day I may have to make for myself, I hope you don't fear it. I hope you realize that giving up on medical care isn't the same as getting, giving up on life. Sometimes it's the exact opposite. It's the only way to live. All right, we'll be right back to finish up. So don't go anywhere. As I leave. Make your device a whole lot smarter. Get the Corel Cast app free at the app store of your choice now. Uncensored, unfiltered, unhinged. It's the Corel Cast. It is the Corel Cast, and I am Corel, and I've got a Potter problem. Uh, it came up when I was watching CB Strike, and it came up again this morning when I was doing yoga down on the floor looking at my bookshelf. This is one of the Harry Potter books that I have. Now, you may not recognize it because this is from Europe. Uh, and when Andrew and I went to London, we bought all the original Harry Potter books uh, in their original form. Some of them still wrapped and some of them signed by J.K. Rowling's. We also bought the uh, bookcase at, or the, the bookends at Harry Potter bookend. Andrew loved Harry Potter. He loved the books. He loved all of it. He never got to see the movie, but he loved Harry Potter. And so afterwards, I read them all, loved them. I think we all read them and loved them. I think the movies we loved, we, Daniel Radcliffe, all of them, Emma Watson, we loved them all. Uh, Rupert Gint, you know, all stars now and grown up and sexy. Daniel Radcliffe, God, I want to have, well, anyway, uh, inappropriate, I know but I want to have sex with Harry Potter and Rupert Gint, uh, 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 Hermione, uh, what's his name? George, uh, George Weasley. Um, now JK Rowling's is a turf, a trans exclusionary radical feminist. And she delights in being that she has vociferously and repeatedly said things that harm the trans community because she like me for a while doesn't get it she's a woman she has a vagina and ovaries she has a period she thinks if you don't have those things a period vagina ovaries that you're not a woman she thinks if you have don't have an xy chromosome that you're not a woman and while she has tried to soften that and say she is not against trans people, she wants the right to be proud of her womanhood. In other words, she says, if you can be proud that you're a trans woman, then I can be proud that I am a 100% natural born woman. Cisgendered white woman. Some of her points might have a little bit of validity in a strange world. But everything she's done for the trans community has been harmful or hurtful. And I love pretty much anyone that wants to love me back. If you're kind and sweet and generous, and if you're a person that doesn't do harm and doesn't want to harm me, then guess what? 
I want nothing but goodness for you. And trans people are, are the new gays. They are being legislated against. They're being beaten and killed. And it's attitudes like hers that are fostering that. And how this woman who could write this book and many others that are inclusionary, that have gay characters, Dumbledore is gay. You know, if, if she can be that accepting of gays and lesbians and, and women and men and people of all shapes and sizes and magicians and monsters, why does she draw the line at trans? I don't know, but she does. Do I keep the Harry Potter books? I don't have any kids. Uh, you know, I could donate them to a library or something. Do I keep the work of a transphobe? Do I watch CB Strike when it comes on TV because she writes under a pseudonym, a male pseudonym, and that male pseudonym writes spy novels or detective novels and they get adapted by the BBC and they're good? I had a problem with it. The actors and all that I love, but the writer? Started thinking about books and TV and movies and how I do you or do you not exclude things from your world of art because of who made it. And I think that's a case, you know, we want to act like there's a blanket statement there. But I think it's case by case. For instance, the Bible is written by some of the biggest haters of all time. Bigots, haters, classist, racist, homophobes. I mean, the Bible is a horrible book if you're not a white cisgendered individual. And I know that you say, well, no, the Lord teaches acceptance. Oh, no, he doesn't. They, you know, the, the Bible is written by, it's not written by the Lord, by the way, or by Jesus. It's written by men, not even women. The Bible is a misogynistic work of literature from misogynists who were also homophobes, uh, thought women were property, thought blacks were evil. So do we not sell the Bible? No, they base a whole religion around it. If, you know, I always said, I don't care that George Bush paints cute puppies. You know, I would never have one of his paintings. I, you know, if Hitler painted, I would never have one of his paintings. But if we go through history and we look at famous works of art, you know, actual art or books or songs, some of the writers, some of the artists, some of the painters, some of the sculptors, some of the architects, they might have been horrible people. But we enjoy their spaces. We enjoy their work. Francis Scott Key was not really that great of a person, but he wrote a song that we all sing. So you see my Potter problem. Can I separate the artist and their life and their political views from their work? Can you? Can you? You know, I find it hard to watch Tom Cruise. His movies are enjoyable. They really are. Most of his movies are enjoyable, and he's a really good actor. I hate to say that about him, but he really is. He's actually should have been up for several Oscars in his past. He's done really good roles. And not just all the action stuff. But he's nuts. He believes in Xenu. He has a boat where they have slaves, literal slaves cleaning it from Scientology. He's been mired in scandal after scandal from Scientology. 
I wouldn't interview him on the red carpet. They brought him up one time and I looked down. I'm like, that's it. I really said that. I'm like, that's it. Because he's he's really little. Uh, he's like five, 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 six. He's, you know, like this big. Uh, and, I, you know, as a movie star, I thought he was going to be bigger, but he wasn't. And they said, do you want to ask Mr. Cruz any questions? The publicist came up first. I said, no, thank you. And the publicist looked shocked because everyone's trying to get him. And I was with ABC, so I was the number one spot. So they all came to me. So they had him lined up. I said, I don't really have anything to say to him. And they're like, what? You have to put him on air. It's ABC. It's Tom Cruise. I'm like, he's a nut. He's crazy. And talking to him, you know, even for five minutes, I'm going to mention to him, why are you so batshit crazy? So this is a line that I don't know where it is. How bad does the artist have to be before you don't like their art? I would love your input on my Potter problem. Do I stay enjoying J.K. Rowling's work or do I say bye? I am Krell. Be who you want to be. Slum doesn't hurt anybody. See you on Wednesday. Follow me on social media. Do all that stuff. Become a patron and enjoy our calls. We're going to do another call this weekend probably. So there. Hey, it's Carell. Amber and I would like to thank you for joining us today and remind you there's a way to never miss a thing and that's by subscribing right now to my YouTube channel. Just click the subscribe button below or go to youtube.com forward slash really Carell. That's youtube.com forward slash really Carell for a world of great free content. And that content is kept free by the fabulous group of patrons at Patreon. Why not become one and show your support for the show? Just $5 a month or more and you're in. Go to patreon.com forward slash really Carell. That's patreon.com forward slash really Carell. My website is reallycorel.com and everything fabulous is there from the show to blog and recipes. Instagram and all social media are, you guessed it, really Carell. And it couldn't get much easier by simply downloading the free Corelcast app at the app store of your choice. And then all the content from Corel Media will flow right on through. That's the free Corelcast app. Remember, I am Corel. Be who you want to be so I don't hurt anybody. And subscribe and participate today.